Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. I love Christmas. The most bizarre things happen that I call Christmas miracles. Um, last night, we were watching this Disney special that actually was the day of Thanksgiving, but we were watching it again because uh, I really like Sting. And he was singing in the middle of the Disney World, and I was like, it's Christmas time when Sting and Shaggy get together and belt out Silent Night in the middle of Disney World. It's a Christmas miracle. It's awesome. Um, so yeah, I love Christmas. I love that people are talking about Jesus, whether they really know who he is or not. I love what the Apostle Paul said, whether in pretense or truth, the name of Jesus is being proclaimed. So, you know, we take what we can get. But today, I get to kind of end our series on Hope is Born, and my message is entitled, Hope Dealers, in case you couldn't tell by the shirts that some of us are wearing today. I want to talk about what it means to be a hope dealer. You know, honestly, this phrase, we have some really fun conversations in our staff meetings, um, and we were trying to come up with like a, a church phrase or a hashtag that we could just use more as generational hope. And so this phrase, hope dealers, got blurted out as we were just conversing, and we were like, yes! And, um, you know, different variations of it didn't make the cut. Um, smoke the hope wasn't, uh, was, was uh, offered up, but it just didn't go anywhere. And then Justin walked into my office this morning, and he said, last night, you know what I thought of? We could, it could be deal hope, not dope. And, uh, and I literally laughed and I said, I thought of that last night in bed too. And, uh, but you know, it's just, so we're hope dealers. Um, we have, <laughs> um, yeah. Pastor Tom, he is dearly loved around here. And I know that um, years ago when he was a youth pastor, he actually won Citizen of the Year for Maple Valley with his campaign, Hugs Not Drugs. And so we're just kind of carrying on the tradition. Because um, we got something that will satisfy way more than anything this world has to offer. And his name is Jesus. And I love Christmas because we get to really, even though we focus on Jesus all year here, really uh, what I know to be the greatest story ever told gets focused on at Christmas time. And it's the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to talk a little bit about that and what it means to be a hope dealer. And really the verse that kind of sparked this idea in me is found in 1 Peter 3.15, um, where it says, But give reverent honor in your hearts to Jesus Christ, and treat Him as the holy master of your lives. And if anyone asks about the hope living within you, always be ready to explain your faith. And that is encouraging to me, but it is challenging to me at the same time because it's when you, those verses kind of pop out and you start to ask yourself, do I really know how to explain my faith just in my daily life? I mean, you're looking at me, you're like, well, you're a pastor, so you better have it figured out. Um, but just in our daily lives, number one, am I living a life that is generous, generous enough with my joy and my hope that people can actually see that there's something different about me. Yes. 
right? I, re- I heard a pastor at a conference this summer say it this way, please, Christians, be generous with your face. Yeah. <laughs> In Fred Meyer, on the airplane, at your job, like if people can't see the hope on your face, then something needs to change, yeah. right? Because we, uh, we love Jesus. And so if anyone asks about the hope living within you, always be ready to explain your faith. And to me, this phrase, giving reverent honor in my heart to Jesus, that's a big phrase. But to me, it really means regularly choosing to remember and to focus on who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he's still doing. To me, that's what honoring God from the inside out really means to me. It's who is Jesus What has he done in my life and what's he continuing to do? And as a hope dealer, hopefully I'm also willing to speak those things to other people that I see are in need of hope. Because that makes it really easy. It makes it not religious. There's no pressure. It's just us being able to say, man, Jesus, this is what he's done for me. This is what he's continuing to do in my life and in my family. And we've got to be willing to talk about that, right? It's amazing how fast we can lose track of fundamental things in our life. It's it's amazing how ineffective we can become when we stop focusing on the basics because as we grow and as we mature, you know, things get more complicated and life gets more busy. Christmas is way more busy for me now than it ever was as a kid. Christmas as a kid was just two weeks off of school, sitting around the house, watching movies, eating peanut butter balls, and waiting for mom and dad to bring presents. And I'm just like, I love Christmas. Now it's like we're the ones hosting parties. We're the ones figuring out the budget for gifts. We're the ones putting up all the decorations. I think me and my wife, we were like, in the last two weeks, I think we've hosted three different Christmas parties and then been to like two other ones. And we're like, man, this is crazy, right? Why is it so crazy? And not that those things aren't good and they're not fun, but it reminds us of what the season and what living life with Jesus really is about, and that's people, and it's the relationships, and it's how we can bless people because we're living with Jesus. And so I want to talk about being a hope dealer today. Um, It's hard to deal hope when you don't have a firm conviction of who you're talking about. And I say that because a lot of even Christians don't have firm convictions on who they know God to be. Um, I want to I begin this morning by reading uh, this story in Matthew chapter 1, talking about the birth of Jesus. And I'll, I'll explain after I read this. But the story goes that Joseph was engaged to be, to be married to Mary, but found out that she was pregnant before they got married. Whoa. So he's trying to figure out, because he's an honorable man, how do I end this relationship and not cause her to be embarrassed or disgraced? So he's doing it the right way. But in the middle of the night, in a dream, an angel comes to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Wow. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
Now, I think there are a lot of people that have this notion, and when we're talking about hope today, this is so important. We have this notion, even Christians, that Jesus came to earth to plead on our behalf and to calm down an angry God who was looking for someone to punish. But Jesus came to do the exact opposite. Jesus came to reveal a Father who was passionate about His people, about humanity, about His creation. A God who wanted to reestablish in them purpose by design. Destiny. Right? So, But we, we still have this idea that God's angry. See, it's hard to be a hope dealer when you have a wrong view of God. When even as a believer, I believe that sometimes God is angry with me. He's disappointed in my life. He looks at me and says, man, you should have been so much further down the road by now. But I have to train myself with conviction to say that is not how my father thinks about me. It's hard to have a, a, a good view of hope when you, we lose sight of what's important in the relationship that we have with Jesus. For myself personally, sometimes it's my personal time with God that suffers first because I'm concentrating on all the other things that need to happen in my life. And Jesus said, hey, remember, no matter how busy it gets, no matter how complicated it is, no matter what promise you're waiting for, your time with me every day is the most important thing. Because this relationship is all based on you and me being in love with each other. And that's where our Christianity can get confusing because then we just start doing church and we start doing service and we start doing things out of obligation rather than being in love with the God who created us. Just look at the names that God gives His Son. Jesus, it means the Lord saves, and Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. What's the message? I will save you and I will be with you. To me, those two phrases don't sound like a God that just wants to kill everybody. And we've heard it. I've heard people say it. I don't want to come to your church. If I came to your church, then lightning would strike it. What is that in reference to? God is angry. But we have to provide a message that said, no, God is not angry at you. He loves you. You may not have been in relationship with him ever before, but he's loved you all the same. Deal that hope. What do we need saving from? We need saving from our sin. Why? Can I get a, just a little bit theological with you this morning? Because I feel like we, you have to really understand what's happening here to really understand the beauty and the grace and the mercy and the miracle of this story. Sin is operating outside of God's design and His image for your life. Because the Bible tells us in Genesis that all of us were created in the image and the likeness of God. So you have a, a Father in heaven who created you by design with a purpose and a destiny and your gifts and your individuality. And we live in a world that wants to take all of that away because when you take away the creator, when you take away the designer, then the purpose and the destiny and the responsibility of our life just goes away. There's no defining line anymore. 
So sin is anything that we do that is operating outside of God's design and image for us. We're created in His image, but when we operate outside of God's design, it's called sin. Sin entered the world and infected all of humanity through Adam, who was the first man created in God's image in the Garden of Eden. And when Adam and his wife Eve chose to walk outside of God's design for them, they listened to the voice of Satan instead of the voice of God. They ate fruit that was outside of what God had for them. When it happened, sin entered their life and into the life of all of humanity that came after them. Why? Because there's this important principle, this law that God put into place in the creation story that we need to remember. The law of reproducing. The law of seed bringing a harvest. God set this in motion in the creation story and ten different times in the book of Genesis where the creation story is found. He said, and they shall reproduce according to their kind. Humans will reproduce humans. Bears will reproduce bears. Apple trees will reproduce apple trees. And the list goes on and on. But also because we're, we're not only created in the image of God in our physical form, we're created in the likeness of God, which also means that internally we were created to think, act, and talk like God. Everything started from the inside. And when sin enters, when we choose to operate outside of God's design, it also rearranges stuff internally. Sin reconstituted our internal nature to be out of alignment with God. To be in rebellion toward Him in the way we think, we believe, and we act. And there'd be no way to stop it. Because every seed every kind will reproduce after itself. So as soon as sin infected the DNA internally of the human, every human being created after that would have the same problem. Sin and as a result, death. Because when you're operating outside of God's design, who is the life giver, you're going to experience death. That's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Not because God's going to strike you down with a lightning bolt, but the natural byproduct of operating outside of the boundaries of the life giver is death. And therefore, Adam and Eve were taken out of the garden, partly because of the mercy of God, because he didn't want them to live in eternity in their sin and death nature. Was that too much for you? So now we can see in this story... The good news. When God says, I'm coming to be with you through my Son, whose name is Jesus, for He will save you from your sin. It's a Father coming to restore His original design to His people and bring life back to Him where there was no way to have life before. Man, it's a good story. Jesus came to purposefully interrupt the cycle of sin and death from being reproduced in the world. That's why Jesus' birth had to be so stinking complicated. Our human brains still can't wrap our heads around it. Why would you do that to Mary? She was just a teenager. Why would you do that to Joseph right before they were married? Oh, she's pregnant already, bro. Why did, why did it have to be a virgin birth? I remember reading a Christian author... Actually, I don't even know if he's a Christian anymore. He had a church. He doesn't anymore. 
And uh, I remember reading one of his books, and he was trying to logically like think out why he follows Jesus in his book, and he said something like, even if I found out that Jesus' birth wasn't really a virgin birth, even if I found out that it was just Mary and Joseph getting married and having a son, and he lived a good life, and he died for humanity, I could still follow him because I like who Jesus is. I like what he stands for. And I remember I read that book when I was like 19, and I didn't know a lot, but I knew enough to go, hey, wait a second. Because he was trying to explain it from the standpoint of, it's like all of this faith is a huge brick wall, and just because you take one brick out doesn't mean the whole thing falls down. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. If you don't have a virgin birth, then you don't have a faith, bro. Because here's the deal. When we're talking about the seed line being reproduced, God knew that he had to supersede the normal human seed line. As honorable as Joseph was as a man, he still carried the sin-filled DNA of his human father, Adam. And God said, I have to interrupt the cycle. Jesus wasn't just born a good man. He was born a God-man. He was born infused with the Holy Spirit. That's why the Father said He will be born of the Holy Spirit, not the human spirit. Because He had to interrupt the DNA code. Jesus' code was different from birth than ours. He internally was already had the fullness of the image and the likeness of God. And therefore, His death and resurrection interrupted the cycle. And that's why the Bible says He is the firstborn among many. Because He knew that everyone who believed in Him and would come after Him would be regenerated with this new DNA code to be godly again. Amen? Amen. Woo! I feel good. Romans 5 says, you, you see, just at the right time. Not because God was just angry and He couldn't take it anymore. It says, just at the opportune time when we were still powerless. We're powerless, aren't we, to change ourselves. Christ died for the ungodly. Just as sin entered the world through one man named Adam, and death through that sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin... But verse 15, jumping ahead, says, But the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Woo! Merry Christmas! I was listening to an interview that, that Ravi Zacharias did a few months ago on YouTube, and I love Ravi Zacharias. He's one of the a world-renowned Christian apologists. And he was, he was doing this interview, and, and listen to what he said. We often think Jesus Christ came into this world to make bad people good. That's wrong. It doesn't have anything to do with making bad people good. He came into the world to make dead people live. Yeah. Woo! God knew the state that we were in. You are helpless because you are dead. I can help you. And the beauty of the heart of Jesus, surrendering his life to the Father and to us, the beauty is that Jesus said, give me 
everything that they deserve because they've lived outside of the boundaries of the Father. Give me the punishment. Give me the death. And in return, I will give them everything that I deserve. Life and joy and peace and reconciliation and purpose and destiny and vision. That is the heart of God. See, as hope dealers, we don't just live for Jesus. We get to live in Jesus. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's I traded all the dead, filthy, gross stuff for His life. He gave it to me because of His grace and His mercy. His mercy took what I deserved and His grace gave me what I don't deserve. Life. Hope dealers live in Jesus. So we live from a place of victory as believers all the time. Your pedestal, your platform is victory 100% of the time because Jesus won the victory one for all. And even as we're waiting for the victory for ourselves or for another person, we stay there. That's what it means to live by conviction. Despite what I see in the natural, I'm going to live under the conviction that it's Jesus Christ in me bringing me life and bringing me freedom and bringing me hope and bringing me back to my original design, even though I don't feel it, even though I don't see it, even though I may have been waiting a little bit longer than I would want to. So I just want to go over three things before we close today. Three convictions that I think we need to live by as hope dealers. And the first one is, Jesus' death and resurrection fully paid the price to reconcile us to God. 2 Corinthians 5 says it this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. We're not just talking about your past mistakes. We're talking about your DNA has been transformed from the inside out. God did what only He can do. He transformed your heart from the inside. The old is gone. That old way of life is dead and the new has come. You are now full of the life of Jesus. And it says all of this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. That's a hope dealer right there. God making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Through the cross, reconciliation, we have been restored to favor with God. It's not what you've done. It's not your church attendance. It's not your Sunday school performance. It's what happened on the cross already. There's nothing you have to do to get God to love you any more than He already does. You have been restored to favor with God because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Reconcile means to turn enemies into friends. We who were the enemies of God because of the fallen planet and our fallen nature are now made the very friends of God. God is our friend who has given us His favor. To be reconciled to God is to be reconnected with His life. 
I not only forgive you of your past, but I'm reconnected you to the life source. You don't have to walk dead anymore. We were tethered to death through sin. Now we're tethered to life through Jesus Christ. Amen? I just got to say this, Christians in the room. Stop allowing yourself to be shocked by the grotesqueness of sin. You can be grieved by it. Sin grieves me and it grieves the heart of God, but I'm, I'm done spending all this time being shocked by its grotesqueness. Because what that does in my heart is it takes me further away from the heart of God and more into the cynical, judgmental arena of, I can't believe people are like this. I can't believe this is happening. What kind of a God would allow this sort of thing to happen? A God who still values free will. That's the type of God that would allow things to happen that are gross to us. Just in case you forgot, things that are dead tend to turn gross pretty fast. Why are we shocked by this principle? Allow God to give you His heart instead. Sin will cause us to grieve, but our hearts are moved with compassion and love because someone is dead and Jesus wants to make them alive. We reproduce after our kind now, and our kind is Jesus Christ. Our kind is reconcilers. Our kind is telling people, God loves you. You don't know him, but he does, and I'm just here to tell you that. The price was paid in full for us to have complete victory. Hope dealers carry the conviction that Jesus' death and resurrection was the ultimate battle and the ultimate victory against the enemy and sin and death. There's no more struggle. There's a struggle in us, but there's not a struggle with God and Satan. It's not a 10-round fight anymore. Satan got his head blown off. It's over for him. But if he can still convince us that it's not, then that's where he wins. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I love that verse, more than a conqueror. What does that mean? It means that you don't live from a place of partial victory or fear or discouragement or defeat. The victory Jesus secured for you is so complete that nothing can separate you from the love of God. We are not only guaranteed victory, but a continuous and undefeatable state of existence. Let that sink in for a minute. It's not just victory. It's guaranteed victory throughout all of your existence. You are undefeatable in Christ. So even when we have to wait for our victories, in the natural we remain immovable in the fact that we've already won. The victory mindset is contagious, isn't it? You want to learn how to be a hope dealer to people that are just hopeless and discouraged and depressed all the time? Just talk victory. That's what the Seahawks do. I can't, they still, they, they, they play Jedi mind tricks with you. It's like whenever I hear Pete Carroll talk about the team or Russell Wilson, even if it was a super close game that didn't need to be, after the game, Russell always comes up to the mic and he's like, always believe, we always believe. 
It's just about belief. Why not us? And I'm just like, yeah, you won. And then Pete Carroll gets on at the press conference on Monday, and he's just like, man, this team is so great. They just know how to win. And I'm, I leave Monday morning, even if it was a stressful game, going, this is the best team in the NFL right here. We got them, right? Even if it's not, like, factually true, <laughs> I know. You can strengthen someone who has no faith or very little faith in God because yours is strong. Because you know how to speak the language of victory. Hey, listen, I know you've been waiting a long time, but I know a God who, who knows your life better than you do. Right? And I know that he sees you winning. He sees victory in your future. You can start prophesying and you don't even call yourself a prophet right there. Full access to the presence of God. On the cross, in Matthew 27, it says, Jesus shouted again, and he released his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split, and tombs opened. I think there's a statement in that. The statement is, I will allow complete and permanent entrance into my presence from now on. Jesus did everything that he needed to do to make it right. The presence of God is no longer limited to a select few who choose to give their lives over to ministry, the men and the women of the cloth, so to speak. It is open to all people because God knows we need his presence more than anything. The victory won at the cross solidifies your standing invitation to meet with God face to face to have full access to his heart and his thoughts, to live in a perpetual state of friendship with God and dominance over your adversaries in his presence. It's in the presence of God that your relationship and my relationship with him stays strong, it stays relevant, and it stays real. I value the presence of God every day because I know as a hope dealer for my own family and for other people, if I'm going to do this right, I need what the Lord is saying today, not what the Lord said last Christmas. Right. Now, it's good to recall everything that the Lord's done in your past. Don't get me wrong. But if you're still trying to live today off of yesterday's leftovers in his presence, then you need to step it up a notch because God's got way more to offer. And you can actually start hearing his heart for other people that you encounter during your day. Even if you wake up and simply pray in the morning, Lord, just show me your heart for somebody today as I go throughout the busyness. At work, at school, in the grocery store, at the mall, whatever it is. If you got something you want to say to somebody, I'm a vessel. Because people need to know that you love them. God is always speaking to us, and so we're always taking time to listen. Amen? God has a now word for you and he's got a now word for people he puts in your path to encourage and strengthen them as well. All right. Can I, can I challenge us a little bit? You're, you're thinking like, well, how do, you know, people, when it, when it comes to talking about Jesus with people who don't know God, we get so awkward. And I, I do it too. Because I have this religious thing in my head of all the things that I need to recite and remember. And even as a pastor, can I just be honest? Sometimes you want to say something to somebody and you just freeze up because you're like, wait, what verse should I do? 
okay? The Bible is valuable, but just forget about John 3.16 for a minute. Because we walk up to people, and then we just like interrupt the normalcy of the conversation because we feel this pressure that's not God to interject some kind of like Bible verse or like, do you know Jesus? <laughs> I do. I would love to talk to you about him. Um, <laughs> It's what I love about my wife. My wife is so good at just loving people and encouraging people and just throwing the name of Jesus in there just like just like like stealth, like a sniper bullet. Like what? <laughs> did she just say that? I think she did. Oh cool. It's not that bad. She was telling me the other day that she has just learned and she chooses to when she okay, Jesus is our best friend. So when we're talking about other best friends, we don't have any issue bringing up their name. If I'm talking to somebody about my wife who they don't know, I don't get all awkward about it. Oh, yeah, I'm married to... Uh, her name's Alicia. She's really cool. Um, I'm so thrilled that I'm in a relationship with her. Yeah. We got three kids together. Alicia, did I say that? Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we, get so, we don't get awkward talking about other people that we know, but when it comes to the name of Jesus, everybody's like... You know, because we, we think it's religion, but it's really relationship. And so one of our next door neighbors was getting ready to have her first baby. And so my wife is over there just hanging out with her and letting um, Alexa hang out and just talk. And she said, you know what I did? I just we were talking about having kids and we'd had two and she was on her first. And so she was nervous, of course, and a little apprehensive about this whole process and what, am I going to be able to handle this, and can I take it, and am I going to be a good mom, and my wife, just in the way she does, she's like, you know what, I had the same apprehensions when I was pregnant with Alexa, and I just asked Jesus on the spot, like, Jesus, you got to help me through this, I don't know, it's just an unknown, and she's like, and I heard him say right back to me, honey, you were created for this, and I'm like, this, yes, <laughs> Why can't I talk to, with people about Jesus like that? And at the moment, she's bringing her best friend in the conversation. She's bringing hope to a girl who needs hope because she's just scared about giving birth and prophesying to her at the same time. Because at the same time she's saying what God said to her, she's basically saying, he's saying the same thing to you, honey. You were created for this. You got this. God loves you. Boom! Hope dealer. How else are who, who people who don't know God, how are they going to know if he's real if we can't bring up his name in our daily conversation? <clears throat> One more thing. Can I get the worship team up here? Um, if you're here, I can't see anybody, so there they are. Um, can I just say one more thing about this? It's choosing to... It's choosing as a person who loves Jesus and believes Jesus. It's choosing how to end your conversations well. And what I mean by that is this. My wife brought this up yesterday, and it was a really good point. We have a really easy time, some of us more than others. Some of us are just naturally more open than others. We generally, as human beings, because we want connection and we want to be relatable, we have a pretty easy time talking about our struggles with other people. 
I mean, some struggles more than others. There's the deep stuff that people don't want to bring up to anybody, but there's other stuff like raising kids and being married and being busy and having two jobs and trying to figure out the money situation. We all bring that stuff up and it's always hashtag struggle is real. And that's good because it's a point of, man, you got three kids too, man, isn't this crazy? How's your middle one? Our middle one, Evie, she is a train wreck. <laughs> like, and then you just kind of leave the conversation. See you later. Hope you have fun dealing with yours. <laughs> and then we just end the conversation when in reality, because we love Jesus, there's something that's holding us together more than just having that one conversation with somebody else that we're glad they're going through the same thing you got to be able to unashamedly bring up the name of the only one who gets us through those struggles in life. We can use our common struggles to relate to other people, but we bring Jesus into the conversation when we desire to elevate people from acknowledging that the struggle is real to Jesus is real. And Jesus provides life in the midst of the struggle. Is that good? Just train yourself to think differently about how you're conversing with people. Because Jesus is your best friend. He's Emmanuel. If God is truly with you, which He is, then talk about it with people. And it doesn't have to be religious. And you don't have to have the whole New Testament memorized to do it. You're just talking about what is the reality in your life. And the reality is, I'm going through it just like you're going through it. But I got Jesus with me. And I've got His presence in me and I don't feel dead anymore. I feel totally alive. There's days where I'm stronger than other days, but at the same time, I know who's holding my life together, and His name is Jesus. So just to end today, if you all would just stand with us, we're going we're gonna to end in a song. But before I do that, I just feel like there's probably some people in this room today that maybe you've never really thought long and hard or any kind of serious way about a relationship with Jesus, but I want to tell you it would be wrong of me not to offer this. Jesus wants a relationship with you today. God is not angry with you. God is not disappointed in you. He knows where you're at, and I know that there's probably some people in the room today that feel like you are just at the end of your rope. And I know that that's hard, and I know that the struggle is real, but I'm here to tell you that Jesus can take you out of that position because He wants to inject life back into you from the inside out. He wants to say, now, son, now, daughter, you get to experience what you tried to do, but really what only I can do, and that's reconcile you to God. It's bring you back into relationship with the life giver, with the designer, with the one who brings purpose to your life. So if you're here today and in your heart you're saying, you know what, I don't want to leave this place until I know I have peace with God. Until I know that I'm reconnected with my Father in heaven. If, if I could just ask you to put your hand up just a little bit so I can see you because I want to pray for you today. If you're just at that place where you're saying, I'm at the end of my rope, but that's okay because Jesus is going to rescue me today. If you could just put your hand up a little bit so I can see you, that would be much appreciated. Thank you. <clears throat> and I just want to pray before we go into this song, 
God is a God of reconciliation. I just picture Jesus doing what he did on the cross and he's literally like bringing back our hand and and the Father's hands back together and saying it's all good. And so I just want to pray over all of us because I know we're heading into Christmas this week. I know we're headed into a, a joyous season and we've been in one, but I know that there's still breakthrough that needs to happen in a lot of lives in this room, whether it's a health breakthrough, even a, I just really feel today to, to pray for breakthrough in, for relationships, where even in your family and in your friendships, maybe people that you are anxious about seeing this Christmas uh, because there just hasn't been a full amount of reconciliation. Can I just pray over you and just say, God wants to reconcile those relationships. Jesus wants to break through in those situations and bring healing and health back into relationships that have been strained for a long time. So Father God, I just thank you for your reconciliation. Thank you that you have fully reconciled us to to the Father. We are in favor with God now because of Jesus, what you did on the cross. And God, I just pray that we would be faithful ministers of reconciliation as we go and meet with friends and family, maybe people that we haven't seen in a long time. I just pray for your breakthrough. Jesus, would you make yourself real in those relationships this Christmas? And I just pray that anybody in this room who feels like the Christmas story is old, that you would just bring fresh life and fresh revelation on the hope that truly came the night that Jesus was born. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that we get to trade our dead, old, crusty life for your life. Jesus, thank you for what you've done for us. Jesus, we give you our past. We give you our present. We give you our future. And thank you that you are continuously changing us from the inside out. We know that you're the only one who can. So we put all of our trust in you today because we know that you are in love with us and we are in love with you. And you died, Jesus, so we could have that life. Amen? Amen. Let's sing and celebrate today. I lift my voice to sing of your good.